0: Good morning. Please stand with me as we read responsively the call to worship found in our bulletin. Jesus Christ has come into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, what a privilege it is to gather in your name here amongst friends and fellow believers. And Lord, we are here for the sole purpose of bringing you glory and honor and thanksgiving for all that you have done in our lives. May you be honored as we praise and lift your name on high. Amen.
1: It's so great to see you as we gather for worship today. I want to invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here today in worship. We do want to welcome uh, all of you, especially those of you who may be guests this morning, uh, particularly those who may be here for uh, the Academy commencement this weekend. Uh, we are glad that you're here and are um, praying that that was a great event and that God will continue to bless all the graduates. Just a few things that I want to highlight in your bulletin. Today at 5 o'clock, we'll be gathering in the church community room to celebrate Pastor John's uh, graduation with his master's degree. This will be a time of fellowship, come and go, uh, hour or so uh, I have ice cream and cake, and you have a chance to, uh, to uh, offer your words of congratulations to Pastor John, to Nancy and their family. And uh, we hope you'll be able to, uh, to join us this afternoon, beginning at 5 o'clock in the church community room. There are other events listed in the bulletin. Uh, we do want to remember those uh, who are in need in our prayers, not just the needs here, but also around the world. And you see some of those listed here as well. We are um, continuing to pray for God's grace and mercy, not only on our congregation, but uh, on the congregations and the people of this community, the wider communities, and throughout his world.
0: The Old Testament reading comes from the book of Amos, chapter 7, verses 1 through 9 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was repairing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will arise against the house of Jeroboam. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Most gracious and loving Father, we cannot hide or deny our sin any longer. By our self centered decisions and our self centered disobedience, We know that we fall short of your glory. We see how we hurt one another. We hear your children's cries for help, but do not respond. We feel the burden of sin all around us, yet we are so focused on ourselves that we give little time or energy to others. We doubt your unconditional love for us and your everlasting desire for us. Father, forgive us. Turn us from self-focus to Christ-focus. Open our eyes to see and hear your passionate yearning for us. Lead us in the way everlasting through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Please stand as we sing the Gloria Patri and as the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. let us pray oh god what a privilege it is to be able to give to you out of the abundance that you have blessed us and lord as we give these tithes and these offerings we ask that you would bless them and use them to bring your kingdom both here and abroad in the precious wonderful name of jesus we pray amen let be seated
1: we come to our Heavenly Father in prayer. If you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we gather in this place today, we give you thanks for all of your creation, for the mountains and the hills and all of their majestic splendor, for the creatures that swim in the ocean and crawl on the earth in their minute uniqueness. You've made it all. And we've come today to worship you, the Lord and God of all. Father, we pray for our world that is so filled with pain and heartache, with death and destruction, insecurity and fear. And we bring before you all of the burdens and the concerns that are on our our hearts today. We pray, Father, for your healing grace, for your comforting presence upon everyone who is grieving today in whatever form that grief may take, however recent or long ago the grief might be. We pray for all who are in need of healing from the things that come to us in these fragile bodies in which we live. We pray today for Bev Rett and Edna Howard, for Linda Roth and Micah Christensen, for Bill Roski, for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who may be on our hearts and minds today. We pray that you would wrap your loving arms of healing around each one. Father, we pray for our world. So many countries facing so many problems. We are often so insulated from war and violence. We forget how many people live with the constant threat. We pray that your spirit would bring peace in places of poverty and hunger, drought and famine, or needs of shelter and basic necessities. We pray for your spirit to be at work. We pray for your people to be channels. Lord, we pray especially for our brothers and sisters who face persecution for their faith in Christ. We think of the shrinking church in Gorea and the pressure that the church there is facing, the threat even of extinction. Father, you are greater than any opposition. You are stronger. You are more powerful than the evil one. And we pray for your people, our brothers and sisters. We ask that you would give them courage. We pray that you will raise them up to be a beacon of light. We pray that you will work miraculously. Father, we also pray for the outreach closer to home. We pray for the the members of the Genesee Rapids team. They have sacrificed this summer to be a part of this team and to represent you in this conference. And we pray, Father, that you will watch over them. We pray that you will help them to be a witness for you among teams that may have absolutely no thoughts of you we pray that their witness will be strong and that in, during games, before, after, other interactions, that they will be a beacon of light. We pray that you will bless them as a team, that they will encourage each other and that through this summer, they will sharpen each other. That when the summer is done, they will move forward more committed to you, to your kingdom. And to the ways you want to be at work in their lives. Father, we thank you for all of your blessings. We give you thanks for every moment of life, those that we cherish and those that are hard, because we know you're present and active in each one. So help us to see you. We give you thanks For the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us in his death, made life a reality through his resurrection, who has ascended to be with you and has promised to return for us. It's in his name that we pray. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done
2: May the mind of Christ my savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say may the world
0: The New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And as with the tradition of the church, I'd ask that you would stand as we hear the word of our Lord. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Like many of you, I grew up with hand me downs clothes, toys, furniture. With the furniture, My mom would invest weeks and months into making an old, sometimes beat-up, dining room table or bedroom set look new and beautiful by stripping, sanding, and staining it. Part of the fun, for those of us who weren't doing the actual work, came as we imagined what type of wood was beneath all those layers of paint or dark stain. So about 20 years ago, when someone gave us an old record cabinet, the kind that holds vinyl record albums, we were excited to show our sons the refinishing process. We talked with them about what kind of wood we might discover as we remove the layers of dark paint covering the cabinet. Would it be oak, maple, walnut, once we stripped away the final layer of paint, the boys ask, so what kind of wood is it? You can imagine our surprise and disappointment upon discovering that the top of the cabinet was not oak, maple, or walnut. Rather, it was plywood. On the outside, the record cabinet looked great, but beneath the layers of paint, it was just a piece of plywood. Isn't it interesting how often our lives look very different on the outside compared to what they really are on the inside? When we think about this difference, does it ever make us feel Disappointed, ashamed, concerned? Perhaps we're so accustomed to it that we don't even think about it all that much. Maybe we've simply resigned ourselves to this is how it is, hoping that it just doesn't really matter. When we read the book of Amos, we get a sense of this inside-outside dilemma in the nation of Israel, and what we find is that it is a far more serious issue than they, and maybe we, realize. Israel, 755 B.C., times are good. Israel is enjoying prosperity, a solid economy. Expanding their boundaries, a stable government, and a strong military presence. As a nation, they feel optimistic, content, and secure as they enjoy God's blessings to them as his chosen covenant people. Into this picture steps Amos. God calls Amos from his current profession of herdsman and farmer to be his prophetic spokesman. Initially, Israel affirms Amos' prophecies because he's addressing the sins of her neighbors, until the mood changes as Amos zeroes in on Israel and her sins. Israel is cheating the poor with dishonest scales taking advantage of the vulnerable, mistreating widows and orphans while their judges are corrupting justice, all so that they may live lavish and excessive lives of ease, wealth, and power. Amos' popularity continues to plummet as he describes God as a roaring lion about to pounce upon his chosen people. He declares God's warnings and issues a last call to repentance because judgment is coming soon. Amos' message to the Israelites is clear, repent or perish. In way of warning his people about the impending judgment, God gives Amos visions of what will happen to Israel if she doesn't repent. The first vision is the threat of locusts. The second vision is the threat of fire. The third vision is of God standing next to a perpendicular wall holding a plumb line in his hand. A plumb line is a string with a weight fastened to the end of it. When the string is placed beside a wall and the weight is allowed to hang freely, it's apparent whether or not the wall is perfectly vertical. If the wall is not perfectly vertical, it will eventually collapse. In this vision, the plumb line symbolizes God's holy standards of righteousness and justice that are inherent in his covenant with his people. The wall symbolizes Israel, God's chosen people. As Amos looks at the plumb line, God asks him, a seemingly innocuous question. Amos, what do you see? In other words, you have eyes, you have a mind, you've been nurtured in the religious tradition and faith of Israel. How do things look to you? Amos sees the plumb line, straight and true, and he sees the wall against the plumb line that is tilted beyond repair. Amos knows that Israel is out of plumb, violating the very standards of holiness with their corrupt and sinful lives. In previous visions, Amos asks God to relent. But not this time, because Amos' eyes are fully open to see what God sees, that Israel is such a mess that collapse is inevitable. It's sad to see how the priorities of God's chosen people have drifted so far from his priorities. C.S. Lewis once said, We think that we are finding our place in the world, when in reality, the world is finding its place in us. The world finds its place in us in subtle or not-so-subtle ways, as we embrace the beliefs and values of our culture. We come to believe that God exists to serve us, that he will overlook our sin and that he will protect us because we are his chosen people. We focus on the privileges of being God's chosen people as opposed to the responsibilities that go with these privileges. We lose our spiritual integrity as God's holy people as we misrepresent him by our lifestyles, choices, value systems, and the way we treat one another instead of our lives revealing the unique character of the one true god we simply blend in with everyone else around us ultimately god's question what do you see has to do with the condition of our hearts and specifically with the condition that scripture calls the divided heart. Scripture defines the heart as the center of our being. It's our mind, will, and emotions. We see that a divided heart is an unhappy heart, according to Scripture. We see this when David prays in Psalm eighty-seven, eleven: "Give me an undivided heart, O God, that I may fear Your name." Someone has said that they suspect this is one of the most significant prayers to be found anywhere in the word of God because David knew the pain, the tragedy of a divided heart, a heart torn by rival affections. A divided heart is where we want God, but we also want control. We want to hold on to certain areas of our lives, a destructive habit. A relationship that's pulling us in a negative direction, a resentment or grudge, some possession we hold dear, our future, or even a spiritual gift. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or else they will be loyal to the one. And despise the other. One day, when a grandfather was talking with his grandson, he told him, There are two wolves living in my heart, and they're at war with each other. One is vicious and cruel. The other is wise and kind. The concerned grandson blurted out, Grandpa! Which one will win? The grandfather paused before answering. The one I feed. A divided heart not only reveals our apathy toward God, but our apathy toward people in need. Because of our unwillingness to sacrifice even a little to help others, we have convinced ourselves that words are enough. Of course, we abhor human trafficking, world hunger, grinding poverty, greedy dictators, drug trafficking. But do we care enough to do something about even one? I mean, isn't liking something on Facebook enough? We know we can't do everything, but a heart united in God feels a sense of passion to do something. One of God's primary accusations against Israel is the war raging within her divided heart over the apathy of injustice. Sooner or later, a divided heart leads us to ask the question, is my goal to be happy or holy? Do I want to do what I consider to make me happy by living to please myself? Or do I want to be holy, living life to please God? The problem of choosing happiness over holiness is that instead of the outcome we hope for, we are left with disappointment, emptiness, and distance from God, the real source of joy, love, freedom, And blessing in our lives. Living with a divided heart also leads us to distrust God. We don't see Him as our loving Heavenly Father who is just and merciful. We begin to believe that His warnings and discipline aren't motivated from a heart of love. When our son Andrew was about four years old, he had his first bicycle with training wheels. I do have Andrew's permission to tell this story. Andrew loved his bike, and he loved riding it. He would spend hours riding around the church parking lot that was connected to the Parsonage driveway where we lived. But over time, he wanted to explore new territory— One of his requests was to ride his bike when we went to pick up his older brother, John, from grade school. So one warm spring day, that's what we decided to do. Because Andrew struggled with following instructions about stopping and looking before crossing the street, I went over the rules with him, telling him that if he failed to obey the rules that he wouldn't ride his bike to school. Things started out well. That is, until we got to the end of the church parking lot. I could see cars coming in both directions on the busy street, and I could see that Andrew wasn't stopping. I yelled out his name as I grabbed hold of that bike About scaring him half to death and about causing him to fall over in the process. I think you can imagine what a happy moment that was when I told Andrew to get off his bike because we would drive to pick up John that day. Andrew was angry, disappointed, and still crying when John climbed into the car at the school. Andrew probably thought I was the worst mother in the world, that I didn't love him or want him to have any fun. But it was only because of love that I protected him as one of those cars surely would have hit him. Because of our sinfulness, we struggle to see that the warnings God gives us and the ways in which he disciplines us are because of his love and grace at work for our good. Our sinfulness, our divided hearts, cause us to forget that we are God's chosen holy people, leading us to a distorted view of God and of reality. Perhaps this is why Jesus says in Matthew 5 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Several weeks ago, when talking with a young girl at church, I asked her how her school year was going. She said that she liked school, but what she was really looking forward to was summer and going to camp. She shared how wonderful camp was last year, how she stayed in a hotel that had a room full of bunk beds. And as if that wasn't enough, she then told me how every day they ate all three meals in a restaurant. And in this restaurant, they had two flavors of potato chips. It was such an incredible experience that she can hardly wait to get back to camp this coming summer. I loved seeing camp through her eyes, partly because I never viewed camp in quite that way. (laughs) But more than that, I loved seeing what it revealed about her, her outlook on life. God's question, what do you see, reveals who we are, our inner heart condition. It also reveals that God cares deeply about what we see, because if our eyes aren't open to him, seeing things the way he does will waste our lives on that which is meaningless and destructive. Amos says that restoration is possible if we'll seek God and live. To seek God and live means that we'll acknowledge our sins and repent of them. But to seek God and live comes with a cost. The cost of letting go of certain behaviors, habits, grudges, agendas, desires, The very control of our lives. To seek God and live requires an attitude of dependence upon God and loving him with all our hearts. Sadly, the Israelites chose to ignore God and his messenger Amos, leading to their eventual captivity and destruction by the Assyrians Yet even in the midst of his judgment, God again offers his love, grace, and hope as he promises that he will bring restoration to a remnant of his people, that he will repair the broken places and restore the ruins. God, through scripture, makes this same promise to us again and again. But God's first desire is not to restore our ruins. His first desire is to save us from the grip of sin that leads to our brokenness and ruins. God's first desire is that we'll surrender our hearts to him so that he has the freedom to build a perfectly vertical wall in us now. Years ago a famous preacher was led into a deeper experience with God through a conversation with an old friend who simply asked him, Have you committed everything to God? And quickly, he says, too quickly, he answered, Of course I have. His friend replied, Have you given over every key of your life to God? Yes, he replied, every key. But that night, he couldn't sleep. As he tossed and turned in his bed, two words kept running through his mind, every key, every key, every key. Finally, he said, what is it, God, Don't you have the key to every door of every closet of every room of my life? Toward morning, God opened the man's eyes to one specific key. The success of his preaching. He realized that he had never fully surrendered that to God. He said, But Lord, This gift and calling are from you. Don't you want me to use them? God responded, I do. But I still need you to give me the key. Every key, including this key. And as he gave God that key the control of that gift, he experienced a transformation that completely changed his life and his ministry. When God asks us, what do you see? What is our answer? Do we see people, circumstances, ourselves the way God does? Or is our vision distorted because of a divided heart? Might God be prompting us about a key we've not yet given to him? If so, may we give him that key today so that we may experience his love, joy, peace, freedom, and blessing in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word, for how it speaks to us in our lives. We pray that you will unite our hearts as we give you every key in our lives. This we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. receive the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.